Please join me in a prayer. Father God, we praise you this morning and we thank you for sending Jesus. As we sang in that medley of carols and songs, there was no name as wonderful or as powerful as the name of Jesus. Nothing can hold him back. Nothing else is needed. He is our Savior, and what He has done is so thorough and so complete and so effective that when we put our faith in Him, we become new people, changed from the inside, adopted into the family of God, filled with Your Holy Spirit. And therefore, when we come to this season, we come not just to to a season of traditions, but to a season of wonder a season that brings us back into experiencing the amazement over what you have done, that you have loved us so greatly that you sent the very best you had, a child, your child, your son, the heir of the kingdom, to tell us who you are, what you want, what your kingdom is like, and to invite us to respond with faith and by putting our faith in your promises and in you, we become part of your kingdom, part of your family, part of this royal priesthood and chosen nation that you are gathering from all around the world. We are your people. And Christmas is our time because this is the season when we are reminded of how amazing and how beautiful and how wonderful your plan is and how it centers on your Son. We come to you in the midst of this season as people who pray. We pray for our nation and we pray for the world around us that uh, people who are stressed out, tired, even exhausted, will find hope in the midst of this season that there is a God who rises above it all. We pray for the leaders of our nation and we pray for our governor here in Massachusetts that you'll grant them wisdom as they try to guide us through an unprecedented time. Give them the wisdom to make wise choices, not harsh choices, and give us the ability to follow for the good of all and for the good of each other. We continue to pray for our various missions that are a part of North River, an extension of North River. I think this morning of Doug and Denise Gregson and their work in Guam with TW, uh, with uh, Transworld Radio, TWR, and I ask that you would bless them. Thank you that they're able to track with us through their online tools as well, and we pray that uh, as they uh, expand the use of technology to uh, the eastern countries, that, that you will bless and reward them, continue to renew their spirit as, as they continue to serve you far away from home. And as they adopt the place of Guam, uh, as the territory of Guam, as their, their new home, the place of their mission and their friends. And we ask that through their work, many people would discover Jesus and would find new life and new hope. We also pray for those who are sick and struggling with COVID at this time. Not so much that they're people from our church, but they are our neighbors. They are people from the towns around us. We ask that you would grant them strength 
You would give, grant them the ability to reach out and to find you during this time. We pray that your compassion would break out to all those who are afraid during this time or who have contracted the virus. We ask that you would protect lives and that you would speed up the process of, of getting help to our nation and to the world at large. Lord, allow us to carry on our mission where we are and to hold on to faith and to live with hope to live cautiously and wisely, but to live with the hope that you are a God who is at work even in the midst of trying times. Thank you for the trying times that were in play 2,000 years ago when you brought Jesus into the world and for reminding us that in the darkest days, the light shines brightly. We pray these things today in worship through the name of Jesus. Amen. On a Friday night in the late spring of 1991, Sue and I made our way to the hospital as we realized that the discomfort that she had been feeling that night probably meant that she was experiencing labor pains. And by the next morning, we had welcomed our firstborn daughter into the world. I remember that morning, I remember holding her for the first time on that Saturday morning. She seemed so tiny, so defenseless in the midst of a big, complicated and sometimes dangerous world. Every instinct inside of me told me that I needed to protect her. And then I watch a video like the one that we just watched together. And I wonder, how could God do that? How could his answer to the darkness and brokenness of our world come with the birth of a tiny baby? Really, God? Now fast forward to December 25th, and once again, much of our world will celebrate together the marvelous act of God in bringing His very own Son into our world as His answer to so much that has gone wrong, His answer to so much darkness, His answer to so much sin and evil, His answer to so much brokenness. His voice breaks the silence his light shines in the darkness. The gospel says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not recognize him. This morning we begin our approach toward Christmas together. So we are starting a new series for this month that we're calling Our Unexpected Christmas. The idea came from a book by David Mathis called The Christmas We Didn't Expect. I didn't need to read the book, just hearing the title sparked the idea for this series. In this crazy year where every schedule is thrown off, where every state in our land and every country on this planet is impacted by a virus that we are so far unable to stop or control, God's answer to the darkness was and still is the birth of a baby, his very own son, Jesus. So for the next few weeks, we are going to look at some of the unexpected features of God's Christmas plan. Our topic this morning is unexpected joy and silence. So good morning, North River. I'm so glad to see those of you who are here in the house at North River in our worship center today. 
And I welcome all of those of you who are with us online as well. I love it when people send me a note letting me know that they're watching from Florida, New Hampshire, Ohio, or North Carolina, or some other place. This morning, I want you to know that long before the world took notice, our God was up to something. And he was up to something extremely big. In the midst of the silence, in the midst of the darkness that was creeping in, God was at work. And when we come to realize that God chooses a plan that we would never choose on our own, our response is often a combination of both joy and silence. So I want to raise the question that is really behind this series. What was unexpected about Christmas? We're going to look the next few weeks at a number of the unexpected details of the story. Because this is the Christmas we didn't expect to exactly play out the way that it is playing out. What we discover first is that Luke introduces us to four unexpected factors. The first is an unexpected visit. In Luke chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, we read these words. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. The hymn is Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Now, there are a few questions that are in order at this point. Who was Zechariah? Zechariah was a little-known Levite. The Levites were one of the original 12 tribes of Israel. Most of the men in this tribe became priests or ministry personnel who worked at the temple in Jerusalem or in the smaller worship sites around ancient Israel. Zechariah wasn't powerful or well-known, and he wasn't from the city. He was a country boy. He shows up only here in the second chapter of Luke's gospel. He was one of about 18,000 people who kept the worship life in Israel going in some way, shape, or form. Why was Zechariah in the temple that day? Well, that's an interesting story. With so many of these 18,000 Levites at work, a role-sharing plan was created, giving some a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to burn incense in the inner chambers of Jerusalem's temple. On this particular day, out of the thousands of people who could have been chosen, Zechariah's division was chosen, and then Zechariah's name was chosen from that group. For a Levite, this was like winning the lottery. This was the only opportunity he would ever have in his entire life to serve this way. Many of the Levites and the priests never got an opportunity to serve in the way that he was on that day. What was Zechariah doing? He had a fairly simple but very important role for that day. His job was to go into the inner chamber of the temple to take hot coals and place them on something that was known as the altar of incense. And there he would burn sweet-smelling incense as an offering to the Lord. As the incense would rise, it represented the prayers of the people giving their prayers to God. And so he did this. But as he did, he was interrupted by the angel of the Lord who appeared to him. This was the unexpected visit. The second unexpected factor was the message about an unexpected child. Verse 13 picks this up. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Luke here tells us in the gospel that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were old and had no children. 
But the angel Gabriel tells him that they will have a son in their old age. Esau Macaulay, the author of Reading While Black, describes this as God replaying tunes from the greatest hits album of his redemptive work. I love that description. As in the days of Abraham and Sarah, an elderly childless couple would now have a child. As with Moses, an angel delivers a message that leads to deliverance for God's people. This is why Zechariah was chosen to burn incense in the temple on that day, because he was the one who fit that description that marked that God was doing something unusual and significant. He was playing his greatest hits. There was an unexpected visit. There was an unexpected child and an unexpected role that Zechariah's son would play. We go on in verse 15 here in Luke chapter 1. And the angel continues saying, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Zacharias' son would be called John. John the Baptist. This unexpected boy would be important, and he would be an unusual child. From his earliest days, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. He would be an outdoorsman and would dress and eat differently. Part of what you are looking at on this slide is Donatello's uh, statue of St. John the Baptist that was done around 1438. And people have wondered, who was this wild man, John? He would preach with the spirit and the power of Elijah. If you think back to the role and ministry of Elijah in the Old Testament, Elijah was a miracle-working prophet in the Old Testament era. He often worked alone as a lone voice calling people back to God in the days when there had been great spiritual betrayal and the kings of Israel were leading people away from God. Those who repented and turned toward God, John baptized in the Jordan River. And in this way, he prepared the nation for the ministry of his cousin, Jesus. And then this unexpected role was followed by an unexpected silence. In verse 22, Luke tells us that when Zechariah came out, he could not speak to the people who were gathered. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. Inside the temple, as the angel spoke to him, Zechariah had asked, how can I be sure of this? And he noted that he was an old man, that Elizabeth, his beloved wife, was long past her childbearing years. So the angel tells him that he will not be able to speak until the child is born. It seems that we are meant to infer that this was a consequence of his doubt. Yet so often when God stuns his people by announcing his plans, Silence results. Zechariah wants to talk. He wants to tell his friends what has happened. But he is speechless and will remain so for the next nine months after hearing about God's plan. Many of you know that part of the story. You've heard it Christmas after Christmas. You've read the Gospel of Luke in the opening chapter. And you know that the ministry of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist all precede the earthly ministry of Jesus. We have to ask the so what question. Why Zachariah's story matters to us today? Let me point out three ways that this story continues to make a difference for us today. 
This is what it teaches us. First, God hears our long-time prayers. They are not listed in the text, but I have no doubt that Zechariah had three long-time prayer requests that he brought to the Lord. The first was personal, for a child, for an heir. When we're told by Luke that Zechariah and his wife were childless, you know that there's more story behind that. You know that there were years and years of heartbreak. This second prayer would have been professional. He wanted to serve one day before the altar, and this was the day that he was finally chosen and given that opportunity to serve this way. But the third was prophetic. He longed to see God's redemption of his people. We learn about this because later on in this same chapter, there is a prayer of Zacharias that Luke records in the gospel. And from his prayer, you realize that this was a man who was searching the scriptures, longing for the day that God would redeem his people. And on this one day, Zechariah finds that God has been hearing all three of these long-term prayers that come from the heart of Zechariah. Luke tells us that Zechariah and his wife were very faithful in their service to God. They were both righteous. It says that in verse 6. They both observed all of God's commands. It tells us that in the same verse. Then Luke tells us that they were childless and well advanced in years, verse 7. Can you imagine how glad Zechariah was that day when he heard Gabriel say to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. It would be easy for us to miss this. It's not the most important or the most prominent point in the story of Zechariah or of the birth narratives of John and Jesus. The angel who serves in the presence of the Lord was telling him something that is so significant nonetheless to him as a person. Your prayer has been heard. How many times had Zechariah and Elizabeth been praying this way? We'll never know. It is so tempting to give up when our long-term prayers are not quickly answered. But remember, God has no obligation to work on our time frame, and He's always up to something that is far bigger than we can imagine. This was confirmation that Zechariah and Elizabeth's long-time prayers mattered to God. I have a question for you. Do you have a long-time prayer request that you keep bringing to the Lord that has not yet been answered? The kind of prayer request that resonates deep in your heart, that kind of breaks your heart as over and over you ask for the same thing and you wonder, when will God finally respond? I need to tell you that on the basis of this story, you are not crazy for holding on to that kind of long-term prayer request. Here we find one example of a long-time prayer that God answered miraculously. So you're praying for one of your kids that they'll turn their hearts back to Jesus. You're praying for a friend or a family member who's long tied up in patterns of addiction. You're praying for a coworker who seems so hostile toward God or even to a conversation about faith or maybe to you having faith at all. Old Zechariah, who on this day heard the angel of the Lord come to him directly and say, your prayer, your long-term heartbreaking prayer, Zechariah, has been heard by God. And he would say to you, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up because God hears our long-term prayers, especially the ones that break your heart. Here's the second thing we learn about this unexpected Christmas from Zechariah. 
God sees our burdens and afflictions. Think about what it was like to be childless in that first century culture. People of the Old Testament era saw children as evidence of God's blessing for their lives. We live in a culture where we hesitate for a second when you learn that someone is pregnant. And in this culture, maybe not necessarily us as a people within this church, but within this culture, we instantly wonder, will this be seen as a good thing? Is this child wanted? Or is this child an inconvenience to be quickly aborted and forgotten? That's what our culture teaches us. Our culture today is so foreign to the mindset of generations past. In this case, Luke tells us that Elizabeth was unable to conceive. Have you talked with couples who longed to have children but could not? I've talked with a number of childless couples through my ministry years. Though most eventually come to a quiet acceptance of this reality, it is not without struggle, it is not without pain. Every Mother's Day becomes an ordeal. Child dedications are hard to watch. With Zechariah and Elizabeth, we also learn of their long family lines that Luke writes about. He tells us that Zechariah was from the line of Abijah, part of the Aaronic priesthood. And Luke adds that Elizabeth was a direct descendant of Aaron, the very first high priest. Until that day, they were convinced that their branches of this long, long line of people who served God would die out with them. These were the burdens they were silently carrying. It is significant that the first clue of God's redemptive action included lifting a personal burden that was part of God's unveiling process, letting people know about His ultimate redemptive plan. There were two stories at work here. The upper story focused on God's bringing of His Son, the Savior, to wipe away our sins, but the lower story matters too. This lower story focused on confirming that God's great redemptive work had begun by answering Zechariah's prayer and by removing this couple's burden of being childless. This is why I included Esau Macaulay's comment about God replaying the greatest hits from his redemption album. When God does something like this, it is evidence that God is on the move. No, He doesn't remove every burden. But we rejoice with the news that when God does relieve burdens like this, we see the evidence that God is at work, His power is unleashed, that we're on the cusp of His greatest work yet. Take heart. Don't give up. God sees the burdens you carry, and He loves you. And the story of Zechariah reminds us of this. God hears our long-time prayers. God sees our burdens and afflictions. Here's the third lesson that Zechariah's story teaches us. God often answers our prayers while fulfilling His purposes. Luke clearly wants us to see that God's redemptive work centered on the life of Jesus. Yet it is fascinating to me that Luke starts by drawing our focus towards Zechariah. This old, otherwise unnamed Levite ministering that day among the thousands of worship leaders and servants around the temple. Zechariah then leads us to the person and role of John the Baptist, his son, 
John the Baptist prepared the people of Israel for the ministry and message of Jesus by telling them to wake up, to get ready. God was about to do something. Confess your sins. Let your heart be ready for when the Messiah comes. Jesus himself said that no one who came before had been greater than John. Those observations lead me to this notion that God often answers our prayers as He is fulfilling His greater purposes. God was focused on the big deal, taking away all the sins of the world, potentially. But in doing so, God did not ignore the personal needs of individual people. So God played that greatest hit by answering the prayer of Zechariah and the prayer of Elizabeth. He gave them a son, and not just a son, but a son who would play a significant role in the redemption story that focused on the mission of Jesus. It is not lost on me that I am saying this just one week after we concluded our Sunday series on reclaiming your purpose. God has five purposes for the local church, and those five purposes also lead to balance and health in the life of every Christian. And so they are not just for the church, they are five purposes for every Christ follower. What are they? Worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and mission. The very things we talked about the last five Sundays. And what we are adding today is this discovery. Here's our big idea for the day. God often answers our prayers while fulfilling His purposes. This is why our ministry is focused on being purpose-driven. What we learned from Zechariah and Elizabeth is that this wasn't about uh, pleading with God or begging God. They didn't have some magic prayer that was asked just the right way and therefore brought an answer. Don't fall for notions like that when you read popular books on how to automatically have all of your prayers answered. God answered Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer as they carried their sorrows and burdens and as they continued to pray and as they continued to serve faithfully where the Lord placed them. And he surprised them with this unexpected blessing of the news that a son would come. God heard. God saw. They prayed. They served. Quietly submitting to the Lord at all times, they humbly accepted that their prayer may not be God's will for their lives. And then came the day as they kept serving and they praying and praying, when in the right time, God answered. And the result was unexpected joy and silence in awe of God's plan and God's power. God often answers our prayers while fulfilling His greater promises and purposes in life. I wonder if you would pray with me this closing prayer this morning. Let's pray this out loud, if you can. Lord, I know that you hear my prayers and that you see my burdens. Help me to serve you well in all that I do while I pursue your purpose for my life. Use me in your great redemptive story that is still playing out in this world. May I know the joy and awe that come when you use us for your purposes, and when you answer our prayers. God, I pray that you'll hear this prayer from us, 
and that you will move us to be so caught up in the awe of your story that we will take up roles, being those who proclaim the truths that we've discovered or who tell others about the joy and the healing that comes when you do answer our prayers. Thank you for the many stories that we share of times when you, would answer, when you have answered our prayers, even though there are still prayers that we have, that we hold in our hearts, that we ask over and over again that have not yet come true. Thank you for reminding us that in the right time, in the right way, you hear, you see, you answer. And may we in this Christmas season be filled with joy and awe. May we turn with faith. May the hearts of many people around this nation turn toward you and turn toward Jesus during this time as we reach out for hope. Let us find Jesus, the author of our hope. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.